we are doing a sermon on Advent today, but it's right out of the gospel passage that we're in, in John. So if you have your Bibles and like to turn there, we're in John chapter 7 today. This gospel has been amazing, and one of the reasons I love it is this. It's not just for people who've never heard of who Jesus is. Many people have heard of Jesus, or, or they need just to hear about the, the actual facts of who Jesus was, and the gospels are a great introduction to that. But I think John's gospel is especially cool. Is that okay to say? I guess I'm dating myself by even saying cool. John's gospel is especially wonderful because he wrote it later. And so he's looking back and giving some deeper theology even around who Jesus is that's especially helpful for people who confess Christ already. And that's many of us who gather today. We come here because we confess Christ, and we want to know more about him. We want to learn and and, and be refreshed in who Jesus is. And John's gospel goes so deep. It's really incredible. So we looked last week, and we were looking at Jesus being the bread of life, and how it's not just that God provides for us. It's not just that he provides bread, or he provides righteousness, or he provides salvation. He is our bread. How much deeper and wonderful and mysterious and amazing that is. And we're in this season of Advent, you know, and and, and my my picture for Advent has always been, at least in this season, is, is this empty manger because Jesus actually came. And Advent is about Jesus coming to earth and the planned Messiah promised from long ago and finally he came and then God himself became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory, John says. And then also it's empty because Jesus rose from the dead and, and he went to heaven after dying for us on a cross and we wait for his coming again. So Advent's both those things. Advent's the, hey, we're just rejoicing and thinking about that God would become a person and, and, and walk among us and talk to us and it's incredible. And then we are just amazed and waiting and hopeful that he's going to come again. So I want you to have that hope today and ground your hope there, especially in this season where it's easy to ground your hope in a political party or in, in your physical health and avoiding the virus or whatever it might be. But also, more than that. What's the more? Hey, you've got to see this. It's really important. You say, man, I'm not that heavy theological Swanson or something. See the amazing wonder that we, all of us, remain trapped in the flesh and who we are. I'm not talking about our bodies. I'm talking about our self-regard, our self-identity, world system that we remain not of now but in. And there's over here clean, pure, amazing, wonderful Savior. And do you trust that he has you all the way through? I want to show you that sharp divide that's here in John. John did it on purpose to help us see that our hope is over here with Jesus and what he's done and how amazing that is and how we can walk away and live this life going he's got us. And particularly at the end, I want you to show you, John pokes you and me, do you really trust this Jesus? Okay, so walk with me. We'll go pretty fast. It's a long passage. We're not doing the whole chapter. We're doing the first half or so. The first is, is that our hope, you and I have hope. Fantastic we have hope. And it's got to be outside ourselves. So let's look and see what, what Jesus talks about, this new new scene that comes, John 7. Okay, it says, verse 1, After this, Jesus went about in Galilee. He would not go about in Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him. Now the Jews' feast of booths 
was at hand. Okay, so main thing to know. I, I'm, we're not going to go into every little detail of this because we'll be here for four or five weeks. I want you to get the picture. So here's the thing. The scene comes up. And if you're with me, you say, yeah, these scenes that John presents, this is a new one. So it's like a scene out of Jesus' life is going to be shown to you so that you learn something, so that it hits you. And the scene that comes up is Jesus wandering around in Galilee because he couldn't go to Jerusalem. That's where Judea is. Because the Pharisees were going to kill him. The Jews wanted to kill him, it says. So we're just given that. That's just true. And then we're given this other thing. The Feast of Booths is at hand. Feast of Booths is a Feast of Tabernacles. It's a special ceremony and season, a week-long thing, where the Jews would celebrate and rejoice in how God took care of them in the 40 years in the wilderness. Like their clothes didn't wear out. They had something to eat every day. And so for a week, they would, they would build, if they had the ability to do it, a little hut in their backyard out of straw and stuff. And they go stay in it for a week. Kind of like camping in your backyard. Doesn't that sound like fun? No, I hate camping. That's okay. Some of you guys love camping. I don't like camping. It doesn't sound fun. But it is still kind of fun to think, okay, special season. You built something. You went in it. You kind of took your, your dinner out there. You put a little candle. You gathered around and talked about how cool God was to you. And, and you remember this cool season. And plus you got to, like, celebrate the harvest time because it was... It was the season of the harvest, so then all this provision God done for you, and it all melded together into this big celebration of how awesome God was to you. So that's the time that the people are doing this celebration of how awesome God is to them. And in this contrasting idea, they want to kill Jesus. Who's Jesus? It's going to be all the way through this amazing thing you've got to hold on and figure out. He's God, right? So let's celebrate how awesome God has been to us and taken care of us. And on the other hand, let's kill God. What is going on? Okay, there's a tension. There's a line. There's this thing. Here's Jesus. Here's the amazing Jesus. Here's the world. We're in the world. Okay, let's look at it. I'll show you. So his brothers said to him, leave here and go to Judea, that your disciples also may see the works you're doing. For no one works in secret if he seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. For not even his brothers believed him. Okay, the first little nugget, the first little interaction is Jesus and his brothers. And, and just think on what they said there. Okay, I, I, it's, it's a bummer. And we right away go, oh, man, even his brothers don't believe him. And some of you go, like, Jesus had brothers? You're like, yeah, his half-brothers, right? So he had family and family that knew him and grew up with him and saw how amazing he was. And that he never sinned. They don't believe him. Bummer. That's not what you're really supposed to see, I think. You're supposed to see what their argument is. What is it? Their argument is, hey, Jesus, if you really are this special, go show it. Is that good counsel in general? You better say yes. If you are like the most amazing pianist ever, and you never play the piano, Are you really that good? Man, if you want people to know how awesome you are, go do it. If you can like speak with flavored honey words and and, and you can convince people of true and amazing things and you never speak, it's not bad. You know what? That's logical. I get it. It's not like bad, horrible advice. It's worldly advice. It's practical advice. It follows a principle. Hey, you know what? Logically, if you want followers, you go and you make some followers. You go show them how beautiful and wonderful you are and they'll follow you. Jesus, go do it. 
That's a principle. So in that sense, if you're sitting over here with me and you start to hear these things and you go, okay, they gave this principle to Jesus and it's not a bad one. It's just a world one. Logical. I get it. If you want to sell a car, you don't sit back and do nothing. Go talk to the people, right? Tell them about your great car. What's the problem? The problem is they're talking to who? Jesus. What did we just say about Jesus? He's God. Just chew on that in your mind. You're meant to see this. The people, his brothers, his family, telling Jesus what to do. You realize God is the God of the universe. You realize he made everything. You realize he understands everything. You realize he's, he's more powerful than you can ever imagine. The, 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 the picture I like is the picture of the, the old lady sweeping the church, and she's sweeping the church, and there's the ants. She's going to step on the ants and kill them? No, but God, like the woman, she's looking and talking to the ants. That's what God does to us. He condescends. He's the king of the universe. He, we can't, I mean, he comes and he talks to us like nobodies. And what do the nobodies do? Let me tell you what to do, God. That's what they're doing to Jesus. Jesus, anything Jesus does is right. How do I know that? He's God. Anything Jesus thinks is right. Anything Jesus does. Any plan he has. Why? Because he's God. He's in the category of God over here. Everybody else is over there, including you and me. So the idea, and, and honestly, I, I don't fault these guys. I, I think I've got principles that even God would follow. Maybe I got them from God. I'm going to tell them back to him to do like somehow he's under the, the logical things that, I, and, 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 and I do this, right? I say, God, boy, if you let me win this race today, I will give all the glory to you. I think it'd be a really good idea, God. You make your case. You see what he'll do. I would love for you to do this. Let, let's, let's tell God, you know, really, I'm, I'm doing all these good things. Please bless me. Look what Jesus says to them. It's really strong. So Jesus said to them, my time has not yet come, but your time is always here. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify about it that its works are evil. You go up to the feast. I'm not going up to this feast for my time has not yet fully come. After saying this, he remained in Galilee. Okay, again, he, he rightly, and here's God saying, no, I don't follow your logic. I, I know exactly what I'm about and I'm doing it. But the interesting thing is that he expands and what he says to his family and what he says to people who use logic and thoughtfulness and these things. And he identifies for us this category that we all are in here. He says, your time is always here to his brothers because you're what? Of the world. We, we use the world. He doesn't mean physical stuff. He doesn't mean the piano. He doesn't mean my, my flesh like, like the... He means the world system, right? The way the world thinks, the way the world works, the way things are. And you and I, we're just part of it. I cannot separate myself from it. I use my logic. My logic. I, I, I use my self-righteousness. I use my ideas of what right and wrong and things are. Everything's filtered through my glasses and my lenses. And, and I interact around me. And I want my reputation to be okay. And my study to bear fruit. And my activities to be blessed. And, and, and all this stuff, I can't get away from it. 
Who's not part of this? Jesus. Jesus says the world is evil. I'm calling it out. The world's evil. He can do it. Why can he do it? He didn't have any sin. He has any impurity in him. He doesn't have any logs in his eyes. He doesn't have any difficulties with anything. He's God. And he says, I got no problem. The world hates me. I'm telling it the truth. I, even in my best day, I can't quite get to the truth sometimes because I'm caught up in me and I'm both and at the same time. I trust Jesus. We're going to get to that. Don't get me wrong. This is my way out. But the reality is in my flesh, which I am in too at the same time, I'm constantly struggling with, with how things work out around me. So those are the camps, right? The concept's a huge one for you and I to grab hold of. In our flesh, we're of the world. The world doesn't hate you and me. We're entrenched in the way of the world thinks. We, we know merit-based living. We, we know how things should work. We know the ins and outs of how to get ahead and how to conform and, and how to build coalitions and different things because we're part of it. Jesus is the exception. The world hates him. So, uh, so, so, so that's where we are. And Jesus makes that line. And he says, you're over there. I'm not doing what you tell me. I'm not going up to the feast. But then look what he does. This is kind of surprising. Then after his brothers had gone up to the feast, verse 10, then he also went up, not publicly, but in private. The Jews were looking for him at the feast and saying, where is he? So Jesus knows exactly what he wants to do, right? He, he just doesn't take their counsel. But then he goes, because what? Because he does want to go. Now that he's made that distinction, he goes up and has this interaction that we get to see. So they're looking for him at the feast. They're saying, where is he? There was much muttering about him among the people. Well, some said he's a good man. Others said, no, he's leading the people astray. Yet for fear of the Jews, no one spoke openly of him. You're just supposed to see. So just see it with me, will you? The line that Jesus is over here and everything he does is right. And everything he does is true. And here's the world. They're muttering. They're questioning. They don't know. Some people say he's a good man. Is that what Jesus is? No. What is he? Come on, you can say it even if you want to. He's God. He's God. It's not some good man like a prophet. Other people are saying he's misleading people. Is he misleading people? No. He's exactly telling the truth. So it's just an example of everybody, the confusion and the caughtness and the trappedness that all people are in. And here's Jesus. It's amazing. By the way, also over in this camp and in all the people in it, it invades us too, is fear. Their fear of what other people would think if they say something. Fear of the Jews, it says. You guys know how pervasive it is that people live in fear? I'm not talking about fear of getting sick or fear of getting old or some of the other fears that we have. I'm talking about fear of man. Fear of what other people think of you. Fear that they'll say, man, you're a fool. Fear that they'll say something about you or what you think that that tears you down. Really common, right? Does it tear people down? So therefore we get tired. What, what, what happens with fear? I'm thinking of me. Thinking about how other people put stuff on me. I'm, I'm afraid of what they're going to think of me. I'm afraid of saying something wrong. I, I, all that stuff, it all goes into this piece over here. And, 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 and over here is who? Jesus. No fear. Son of God. Doing what he wants. 
And this is what amazing thing is. God is certain and fearless and he's acting and the world's hating him and he knows it and he doesn't care. He still goes out to them. It's amazing. This is our great hope. This Jesus. We have a hero. Rescuer. Savior. He's not like us. Okay, I think we still need help with, 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 with what this is and, and the, the depth and the wonder of having Jesus for us. So it's not just hope outside of us. Yeah, it's in Jesus, not in us. Like you kind of get that. You get where I'm going with that, I hope. That all our arms in Jesus, yeah, it makes me cry too sometimes. I want, I want to be the Savior myself. The thing that really helps me stay over here is understanding that, that my help comes from outside and above even the law. Big deal, because the law is the very best I have from God in the Scriptures. Besides Jesus. Okay, let's let's look at it. About the middle of the feast, so Jesus now is kind of halfway through this feast. It lasted for a week. He's in the middle of it. Jesus went up to the temple, and he began teaching. The Jews therefore marveled, saying, How is it that this man has learning when he's never studied? Okay. Same stuff, right? Now you've got in, in the world... And what are they concerned about? Jesus is saying amazing things, but he's never studied. How do you decide who to listen to? How do you decide whose expertise to accept? We know this is right the world, right? Exactly the world. I know this method. You study and you get the credential or you study and you show the, hey, you you can study by sitting under teachers. You go to university and you, you learn from people who were renowned and you understand from them. That's what these guys did. They had... They had rabbis that taught students. And so they said, hey, who's his rabbi? Or for us, sometimes we read books. Look, I can tell you this book and this book and this book and this book that I've read, and I'll interact with them with you and show you how much expertise I have because I've studied me. This whole idea, right? (laughs) They know. We understand it. If, if someone got up and started telling you how to, how to take out your appendix, what should your question be? How many have you done? You know, someone comes up and says, hey, I've got a spoon. I'll take your appendix out for you. Run. Right? Or a car. You don't take your car to someone and say, hey, well, I'm, I'm going to take my car. Will you fix it for me? He said, well, what's a car? Well, have you studied the car? No, I've never done it. I always want to know what people's experience, what their work is, how they advance, what they knowledge, and just show me that, that they learn from other people because we stand in a line of, of learning and we pass it down by training, journeyman training, or by, by books that are formalized training. Whatever that is, that's the thing. That's how we value these sorts of things, right? That's the world. Is it wrong? No. It's what we do. But here's this category. Jesus. What does he say? So Jesus answered them, My teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. If anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I'm speaking on my own authority. He shifts to the question. He says, I'm speaking directly from God. This is really remarkable. Really remarkable because how do they normally receive teaching from God? Well, the prophets or the scriptures. And and so how, if you had the scriptures, would you determine if God was actually saying something? This is important. You're at church. You're worshiping God. How do you know this God? Well, you take the law, and they took the the, the Old Testament, the, the Hebrew scriptures, and they argued over what it meant. 
you have the school over here arguing these things and the school over here arguing this stuff, and they try and together get to the point where they, they say, yeah, this means that. And they, so they would subject the scriptures to their minds, and, and, and they would determine by argument and, and interaction what was true. Does Jesus do that? No. He just looks at you. He just says, this is the truth. Right? That, that's what he said. My authority is from God. Not I figured it out by study of the law and deep meditation. He says, I'm just speaking directly from God. That's super important. He's not trapped in our trap, which is us always doing things for our glory. We can't get away from showing how much we've studied and, 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 and showing how much we've done so that you'll believe me. The one, verse 18, who speaks of his own authority seeks his own glory, but the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true, and in him there's no falsehood. Jesus is saying, I'm true. Listen to me. And if you're with me this morning, I hope you are. You say, yeah, that's who we listen to. We want to know what Jesus said. I want to hear from Jesus. He says, he has not Moses given you the law, yet none of you keeps the law. Why do you seek to kill me? God answered, you have a demon who's seeking to kill you. You see, the, the way that they would evaluate if someone's speaking from God is you would take the law. You, you might do this too. You take the law, right? The Ten Commandments, the Torah. And you say, hey, that's, that's how we know if you're from God. You do it. We evaluate you. And Jesus goes right back on everyone in the world and says, you don't keep the law. This is so big, I can't... Okay, you, you got it. Let's read the whole thing, and then I'll try and explain it to you so you get it. Jesus answered them, I did one work, and you all marvel at it. Moses gave you circumcision, not that it's from Moses, but from the fathers, and you circumcise a man on the Sabbath. If on the Sabbath a man receives circumcision so that the law of Moses may not be broken, are you angry with me because on the Sabbath I made a man's whole body well? Do not judge by appearances, but judge by with right judgment. You've got to get this super cool. There's that cool word again. It's really awesome. Here's the thing. If you're over here in the world, and here we are in this world, and, and we're caught, we're trapped, we can't get away from ourselves, so we're scrabbling and trying to understand, even understand what God wants of us, what do we use? We use the very best thing we can, which is the law of God, the very best book I can go to to figure out my moral behavior, the very best way I can judge you to see how well you're doing. And then Jesus turns and says, you know this amazing law, and you don't do it. You know what my answer is? Yes, I do. Doing our best over here, Jesus. Stop putting it, that on me, not thinking that Jesus is God and whatever he says is true. I want to fight back, right? Jesus gives this example. He gives this example about how they are judging him. This is how they're judging him. They shouldn't. They should just evaluate what he says. Is he's from God? Is what he says true? No, what they want to do is they want to evaluate him under the law. I'm going to put the standard of the law over Jesus. We do this too. You do this too with other people. You do. But here's what they did with Jesus. Hey, remember the problem was he healed on the Sabbath. What's the Sabbath? A day of rest. If he's from God, he would never break the law. So Jesus gives them this thing. You don't even keep any of the law. Why are you mad at me? But then he goes even further. He says, and you realize what I did on the Sabbath was like circumcision. Remember what circumcision was? 
Circumcision was a sign given to Abraham that people are in relationship with God. God said to Abraham, I've got you. I'm your God. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to have a relationship with you. I'm going to be in covenant with you. Every one of your kids do this too, your male children. It's a sign that I'm their God. And after that, the law came and established, yeah, on the eighth day, you're going to do it and, you're, and all these things. And, and so, but if someone was born on a Friday, then eight days later, they were circumcised. They would be circumcised on a Saturday, which is known as the Sabbath. So therefore, they were cutting, because that's what circumcision is. It's a medical procedure, also known as work. On the Sabbath, well, that okay? Well, how's that okay? The law says don't do it, but we're doing it. Why are we trying? Yeah, he says, then you're mad at me. And yet you understand this, that the, the idea of, of signifying the wonder of the relationship with God, the healing that happens there of God and man, is so much more important than the law that is underneath it about what you're going to do to keep that relationship. Do you get it? What he's saying is this. He's saying, you guys, you are judging me on something that you don't even understand because I bring healing to you. And you're going to be mad at me because I do? It's crazy. Why is it crazy? Because we want to judge God. And God brings healing in his wings. And we won't even take it. It's, it's, it's crazy. So he says, don't judge by appearances, judge with right judgment. Don't judge by externals, don't judge by what, but judge with rightness. And you know what the truth is? You can't. You're standing over here with me in the world, and by the world's standards, the very best standard I have is the law. The law seems to judge Jesus, so I'm going to say, well, I'm not sure about this Jesus. But actually, the law points to him and says the only hope is in him, and I can't see it because I judge by externals. Why do I judge by externals? It's all I see. I mean, develop for me the x-ray glasses that'll look at someone's heart. And I don't mean regular x-rays. I mean to see the actual attitudes and thoughts and intentions and joy and whatever's going on inside you. We can't see it. So therefore, my judgment's always wrong. That's what Jesus says. So here's my question for you. Don't lose me. We're almost at the end. This is my question. How does Jesus see? He judges the thoughts and intentions of the heart. He does see. See how different it is? I'm over here. I can't. But Jesus can and does. What does this mean for me? What does it mean for you? That's where we're going with this. That Jesus sees the heart. So what do I do? I receive him. And I trust him. I, 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 don't, I don't evaluate him. Or others. Look, some of the people there at Jerusalem said, isn't this the man they seek to kill? And here he is speaking openly, and they say nothing to him. Can it be that the authorities really know that this is the Christ? It's like, wow, he's really saying amazing things. Maybe they know he is the Christ, because they're not stopping him. Yeah, they can't. He's from God. It's not his time yet. But we know where this man comes from, and when the Christ appears, no one will know where he comes from. Yet there's that logic problem again, oh world. Everything they say is from the world. It's like, oh yeah, you know what? It seems like even the Bible says or what we understand from our rabbis is that he's going to come from somewhere mysterious. We won't know. But this guy's from Nazareth. No, they don't know. This guy's from heaven. 
So Jesus proclaimed as he taught in the temple, you know me and you know where I come from, but I've not come of my own accord. He who sent me is true. And him you do not know. I know him for I come from him and he sent me. Wow. This is incredible, right? And and it even goes on. So they were seeking to arrest him, but no one laid a hand on him because his hour hadn't yet come. Yet many of the people who believed, many of the people did believe in him. And they said, when the Christ appears, will he do more signs than this man has done? As always, this is the claim, right? Jesus says, I'm from God. You don't even know him, but I know him. You're over here in the world. You have no hope in yourself. You can't escape it. Even if you're not of the world, you're in it, you guys. You get caught, and, and yet here's Jesus, and he's pure and true and right. This is our hope, right? We are part of the problem, trapped and unable and confused and alone, and here comes the light. And, and here's the end of the passage that we're reading. The Pharisees heard the crowd muttering these things about him, and, 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 and the chief priests and the Pharisees sent officers to arrest him. And Jesus said, I will be with you a little longer than I'm going to him who sent me. You will seek me, and you will not find me. Where I am, you cannot come. They're totally confused. But we're not. I know what he's saying, right? He's saying he's going to go on a cross and die, and then he's going to be resurrected from the dead and go to heaven. And our advent, our hope, is that he's going to come again. They don't get that. The Jews said to one another, where does this man intend to go that we can't find him? Does he intend to go to the dispersion among the Greeks and teach the Greeks? What does he mean by saying, you'll seek me and you won't find me, and where I am, you cannot come? We don't get it. (coughs) So here, this is the thing, right? It's the presentation of Jesus. It's a contrast. He's fearless. He's assured. He's confident. He's clear. He has a plan. He knows what's important. He judges rightly. He teaches with authority. He knows where he came from and where he's going. Everyone else is the problem. The world, not believing, part of this system that's built on getting better by getting self-righteousness and wisdom principles to advance yourself and structures, all this stuff that we get into. And, and even using those things that we, we think, well, I'm going to use those to judge Jesus. Certainly to judge each other. And even those of us who know Christ, you know, I feel like so often we're like the guy that I read about last week who's released from prison. He was in prison for bad crimes and then he was let go free. 37 minutes later, he was hijacking a car, getting caught and going back to prison. He's probably getting released to try again. We can't stop. We're caught. We, we don't have it right. And the best of us don't. The worst of us don't. We're, we're all in the same boat over here. The one that's pure and true is Jesus. Right? That's what we're supposed to see. He is our hope. Not just for this conversion bit, but for abundant life. And we'll end here. You need to see this because my whole question for you is built up to now. Now. Because if you're with me, like, yeah, Docs, I had you at get-go. I don't know why you had to, had to sit through 20 minutes of sitting here telling me about this. When I get it already, the world is lost and our only hope is Jesus. Okay, that's the summary so far. The world is lost and you're part of the world. Our only hope is Jesus. And you say, but I, I prayed the prayer. I did the thing. I'm like Jesus and I, Jesus, Jesus, go Jesus. And I came here to, to sing songs to Jesus. I'm with you. Jesus is everything. Do you trust him is the question. And you tell me, yeah, that's what Christianity is. And I agree with you. Then I want you to trust this. 
This is what we've built up that you're going to trust today. Because it's directly from the lips of Jesus. Look what he says to you. You who say and know that you trust him because you're, you have no hope in yourselves and your only hope is Jesus. What does he say to you? Look. On the last day of the feast, now we're at the very last culminating, climbed up mountain day where they, again, every day they take a golden pitcher and pour out water. And this, this image of, of, of God providing water in the desert. And, and on that last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Okay, would you, would you hear that in the context in which we've developed today? Jesus Christ, everything he says is true. He says it directly from the Father to you. And he says, anyone who believes in me, you say, yeah, my trust is in Jesus. Then it's a promise, right? It's a statement of fact. Who's going to do it? Jesus is going to do it out of your heart. That's a bad translation. It doesn't mean heart. The word heart there is belly. Out of your belly will come abundant flowing water. Okay, I didn't know I was going to be a fountain. But I am. Living water comes out of you if you believe in Jesus. Full stop, period, done. Not, no, 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 not, 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 no, I know what you're going to do. If I stay true, if I do whatever, if I keep his rules, if I do, no, he doesn't say any of that. He says, if you trust me, out of you is going to have this. So the question for us isn't logicize it. It's not like figure out how it could be true. It's not like find a way to make it true. It's do you trust this savior who says it to you? What does he mean? That's kind of weird. I don't know. Well, he says, now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. So, so you've got to see this. Please see it today. That Jesus Christ says, if you trust me, and, and it's abandoning your characteristic world stuff that all these guys have been showing. I'm going to use principles. I'm going to use practicalities. I'm going to use ladders. I'm going to use the, the, the spiritual disciplines. I'm going to use whatever it is that I'm going to make up to try and get there and get it and instead trust the one who's actually going to give it to you, who says he did. So guess what I believe with all my heart? Every single person in here trusts Jesus, has rivers of living water coming out of their belly. What is that? I don't know. I can't see it. But everywhere you go, the Holy Spirit's using you. How do I know? Jesus said so. But I'm not seeing it. Who said anything about seeing it? Who said anything about you evaluating it? Who said anything about you trying to judge other people and how much living water they got spilling out of their belly? Not Jesus. Jesus just said, you're going to have it. And for you to have it means you don't even know how the Holy Spirit's using you all the time in all the places you're at and everywhere you go simply by what? Getting out of this category of I'm in the world trying and clawing to make myself okay and I'm just going to trust this Jesus who says what? I've got you. Not, not like for some distant heaven though we long for his return but by promise that out of you comes living water. And he's talking about the Spirit. And it's awesome. I'm not talking about you speaking in tongues. I'm not talking about doing wooey things and rolling on the floor. 
talking about the promise of God to you that he will use you by his spirit to produce amazing things for him. What's the fruit of the spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, self-control. All these amazing things the spirit in little ways all over does in you. Trust Jesus. That's the message today. This is our hope today. You and I have a hope That's why Advent is so important, because the only thing that matters is God in his amazing grace sent Jesus, who the Son of God, who came to us, and he lived, and he spoke to us these words, and he says, will you trust me? And then he died for us on the cross, and then he went back to heaven, and we await his return. And our whole lives are right here, not over there, to say, Jesus, you're it, and I trust you. This is why I can rejoice at Christmas, because it's that amazing. I'll end with this with this scripture. The hope we have is an anchor for the soul, a hope both sure and steadfast, and one which enters within the veil where Jesus has entered as a forerunner for us, having become a high priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. So I don't understand all that, Dax. Yeah, understand this. Jesus is our anchor. He's gone in. Trust him. He has the strength and the power and the trueness to make everything happen. Word of God for you. Let's pray.